Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, in case you're new with us, we are in the third week of a study of the Old Testament book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, a series that we're calling The People of God. Last week, we talked a little bit about the who, what, when, where, why uh, in regards to the book of Exodus. If you missed it and you'd like to catch up with us, uh, you can always check those messages out on our website. Today, we're going to be in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, and I want to talk with you this morning about how God uses imperfect people. Uh, he loves to. He loves to use imperfect people like you and me to carry out his plans. He's you know doing that in and through my life. He's doing that in and through yours. I mean, just even as I look around Genesis, you know, I love how, you know, just watching how God uses people like our students, and you know, He works through our kids. He can work through you, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're married or single, if you're retired. I mean, it's just one of the things that makes Him amazing uh, and what makes Him so great. He loves to work through imperfect people, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Let me pray uh, as we're getting started. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for who you are. Uh, it's been great to be here this morning to worship you and uh, just a reminder of the great God that you really are. And uh, we pray that you would continue to work on our hearts now uh, through your presence here in this room, and we just are trusting you with this message. Father, would you speak through me today clearly, but most importantly, would you speak to us through your word, just opening up our minds and our hearts to hear from you and to respond obediently in it. Uh, we are here for you today, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. By the time William Borden graduated from high school, he was already a millionaire. And so to celebrate his graduation, his parents gave him a trip around the world. Now, you can do that if your family owns a major dairy business. I don't know about you. I got a CD player uh, when I graduated from high school. Uh, but Borden's travels took him through places like Europe, the Middle East, and Asia, where he saw all sorts of great sights. And along the way, he was also exposed to some pretty uh, remarkable struggles that people around the world face. And this experience moved him so deeply that he wrote to his parents mid-trip and he told them that he really believed he felt called to full-time ministry and specifically in China. And to mark the moment, uh, to make sure that he didn't forget how God had worked in and through him, he took out his Bible, he turned to the very uh, cover of it, and he wrote in there two words, no reserves. Well, from that moment forward, Borden again made it his goal to live up to those words. He eventually returned from his trip. He started attending Yale University, where he became a pretty influential leader as a student. He started a small group, a prayer group on campus. That group quickly grew to 150 uh, freshmen on the campus. By the time he was a senior, get this, this is Yale University, a thousand of Yale's 1,300 students at the time were meeting in similar small prayer groups. Uh, Borden's passion was... He wanted people to encounter Jesus. He wanted their lives to be changed by the person of Jesus Christ. He graduated from Yale. He never lost sight, though, of that decision to eventually go and to serve the Lord overseas. And so even as lucrative job offers started coming in from well-known companies, they couldn't distract him because, again, God had called Borden to serve specifically with the Muslim people that were living in this particular part of China. And again, to make sure he didn't compromise the goal, even at graduation, next to the words wrote, no reserves, Borden wrote the words, no retreats. Well, sensing the need for some more intentional training before he finally made his big departure, Borden enrolled in seminary and graduated. Uh, from there, he left and went on to Egypt where he intended to learn the Arabic language before finally going off to China. He made it to Egypt. 
Unfortunately, not too long after getting there, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within a month, at 25 years of age, William Borden passed away. Uh, His remains were eventually sent back to the U.S., all of his belongings to his family. And word has it that when his parents were going through his personal items and came across the Bible, they opened it, and sure enough, in the cover, they discovered the words, no reserves and a date. And they discovered those words, no retreats and a date. Again, words that had driven him, words that had encouraged him and kept him on point, but also one last addition that he made in his Bible just before dying. Biden wrote the words, no regrets. No regrets. Man, who, who doesn't want to get to the end of their life? Isn't it true? I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, I, I think every single one of us in one way or another, we'd like to get to the end of our life and be able to say something like, no regrets. I hope that as a follower of Jesus, uh, you make it your goal, you make it your aim to be able to say, you know what, I gave, I gave it my all. I mean, I took everything that I had and I made it available to the Lord, my, my time, my gifts, my treasures. Like, you, you know, the, the thing is, you don't have to set your sights on serving the Lord somewhere else in this world. You can do it here. Uh, You can do it with whatever God has called you to, whatever career he's put before you, the opportunities, the people that he's put around your life, no matter your age. Like serving Jesus means taking bold steps. It means being people of courage. It means people of obedience. To be able to say like the Apostle Paul, I have have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Let me ask you this. Why is it that some people seem to have that passion going for them, right? You, you, you've been around people like this. There are people in our church like this, people that, that have that clarity for how they were made and what they're here for and what they intend to do. Or if it's true that God uses imperfect people to carry out his work, why do some seem to thrive in that, but for others, we're not really sure where we fit in? Like we, we don't see God working in and through us or we can't imagine him doing anything like that. My hunch is that probably more of us than should kind of fall into that camp of thinking and believing. And why? Well, I think all sorts of different reasons. I think we could say certainly that life gets in the way and it gets too busy and we get too distracted by so many other worldly things or, or we've all got our excuses, you know, excuses like, you know, I'm just a stay-at-home mom or, you know, I'm just working in this dead-end job right now or I didn't go to college and so I don't have any special skills or degree or anything like that or, you know, to the words no regrets, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I got too many to count. You know, if you only knew how many regrets I had in my life, no, so many missed opportunities or I've, I've made this mess in my life and I can't seem to make up for it or I'm just I'm scared like I'm, I'm scared at the thought of doing something that I can't see or control for myself I'm afraid I'm too afraid of letting go and trusting that God could work through me for too many of us hear me when I say this we have this low view of God okay I want to get you thinking about this low view of God today we've made him so small so much that we underestimate what he can do. We devalue the importance of his will and his power working in and through our lives. The interesting thing about William Borden, his you know, so-called success or his so-called passion, wasn't just something that he was fortunate to be on the receiving end of. You know, For Borden, I think honestly, I think his passion and clarity about life was the result of a proper view of his life in comparison to God. William Borden wasn't living for himself. 
He was living for the Lord first and foremost in all things. And it was his high view and opinion of God that shaped his thoughts, his life, and his direction. All right, we're going to look briefly at Exodus chapters 3 and 4 today. Uh, Exodus 3 opens with Moses. We looked a little at him last week. Even if you're new to church, you're probably at least somewhat familiar with his life. Uh, A weak, by the time we get to Exodus 3, a weak and insecure man. And it's ironic because you'd think he'd have all the confidence in the world. I mean, he grew up in the lap of luxury. He was well-educated, a good-looking guy. Moses had access to unlimited resources until God broke his heart for the pain and suffering of the Hebrew people living in slavery in Egypt. The reality of that slavery in Egypt got so bad for him that he couldn't take it any longer. And so as we saw last week, one day Moses reacted. He killed the Egyptian slave master, which was really a trigger for things going from bad to worse in his life really fast. So bad that even the Hebrew people, the people he was trying to help, mocked and they rejected him. And to make matters worse, Pharaoh put out a bounty on his life. And that's why Moses took up running, which a lot of middle-aged men do these days, right? Like myself, you take up running. Moses bolted, he got out of town, fled to Midian, and along the way he's going to marry a woman by the name of Zipporah and start a life with her, and that's where we pick it up in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. We read this, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, or the mountain of God. Now it's interesting that Moses takes up the role of a shepherd because shepherds were looked down upon as low-level, insignificant people in this society, especially around Egypt. But it's an important detail as shepherding is a symbolic role all the way through the scriptures. Abraham was a shepherd. Uh, King David was a shepherd. Even God describes himself as a shepherd of the people and Jesus the same. But notice how the text says that he's not just in the wilderness, but he's on the far side of the wilderness. It's almost as if he wants to get as far away from Egypt as he possibly can. And he's near Horeb, as noted, which is also known as Sinai, or the mountain of God. And just to give you some perspective from this map, last week we looked at this area of Goshen in Egypt, which was likely where the Israelite people were were held as slaves. And Moses is going to make this journey most likely to this uh, southernmost tip in the Sinai Peninsula near the Red Sea. We'll look at this map a little bit more in the weeks to come. But Moses doesn't know it yet. But he's going to be back at Mount Horeb. He's going to be back at Sinai one day soon. But next time, he'll be with God's people. And I love this. I love it because it's just a reminder for us that God doesn't waste moments or seasons of life that we all go through. All right, it's true of Moses. He doesn't know it yet, but these 40 years that he's going to spend in the wilderness on his own, God's going to use those 40 years to prepare him to lead the people of God through the wilderness at a later date. His time as a shepherd, when you think about it, covering the terrain is going to familiarize him with routes and trails. He's going to know where the water is. Who says God can't use the wilderness? He can. Who who says God can't use the desert experiences that we all go through in our lives? Like who he, he can use the wilderness that you find yourself in right now. I mean, it may not seem like it yet. It may just seem like a discouraging, 
frustrating, nowhere sort of season in your life, but God can use difficult, complicated, frustrating seasons of our lives. He can use them to train you, and he can use those seasons to prepare you. He can use this discouraging season that you're in right now to humble you, to to increase your dependence and your focus on him. You might be in a difficult and challenging season at work right now as a parent, as a student, whatever it may be, don't underestimate how God can use these days if you'll pay attention to him. Verse two, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. I'd love to spend more time talking about the burning bush, but if we're ever gonna get through Exodus, we gotta keep rolling, all right? So we talked about the burning bush a little bit last summer in the Sticky Story series. If you wanna check that message out, you can. Uh, Let's continue, verse three. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses responded and said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This declaration about God's connection to Abraham might not seem like much to us, sort of random, but for Moses and the Jewish reader, this is God identifying himself with the Hebrew people. This is his way of saying, you know, why they will be called the people of God. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses was afraid, right? We see that. Uh, There was something significant about this moment, like who wouldn't be alarmed? Something about God's response, something about God and the fire, the, the bush, the fire, the bush that doesn't seem to burn up, like God's holiness, his presence. Man, you see this all throughout scripture. It has a way of doing this to people. And then like last week, Once again, we get a glimpse at the heart of God, his compassion for the hurting. Listen to some of these statements from God beginning in verse seven. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Who says that our God isn't a compassionate God? He's a caring God. He cares about the poor. He cares about the hurting. And I can only imagine that Moses' heart and soul was stirred in this moment too. Why? You know, because because Moses had seen and experienced all of those same things that God was talking about. He heard the stories about the baby, uh, the massacre of the baby boys that, that were when, around the time when he was born. He watched with his own eyes as his very own people were being terrorized by these slave masters. He heard the wailing and he heard the cries and those cries moved him to action. And I would say probably haunted him every day for the rest of his life, including these days in the wilderness. If you'll let him, if we'll pay attention, if we'll stay sensitive to the work of God in our lives, like God can do those same sort of things in us too. He'll, he'll break your heart for people in our community that are struggling. Uh, he'll break your heart for things that are happening around the world. Like some of you, when you think about it, are doing some amazing things for the Lord right now 
because he gave you a passion or a burden out of an experience after something that you went through. He redeemed something in your life and he's bringing good from it. It's why a number of you have adopted or you're fostering children today. Like you, you wanna provide love and, and a home for others. It's, it's why you serve at your school, you know, because you wanna, you wanna be a part of that work of helping to bring light into what sometimes gets, you know, gives the impression of, be, of being a dark, lost sort of place. You, you serve in Gen Kids because it was a teacher that changed your life, and so you wanna do that for somebody else, or you've been boldly sharing your faith because you might not be here if somebody hadn't done it for you. God had Moses' attention. He had his heart, but that's about to change. Verse 10, so now go, God said, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And look at Moses' reply. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Moses, you're talking to the Lord, right? I mean, you got the burning bush. It's not burning up. God's talking to you from it. You know, just a moment ago, you're hiding your face. It's an overwhelming experience. But now you're going to push back? Like somehow you're going to make this convo all about you? Pastor J.D. Greer says that Moses' reaction here just further highlights his insecurities, his his fear, you know, especially with the statement, who am I, which can be connected to Exodus chapter two, verse 14, back in Egypt, you know, when Moses tried to break up the fight and the Hebrews questioned Moses at an, and his attempt to take charge, they responded basically like, who are you? Like, what makes you think you get to be the leader and you get to be the boss in this moment? It's amazing what rejection can do to someone. It's crazy how things like fear can get the best of any of us. My wife Jenny and I are really good at celebrating important dates and occasions. And I'm not being serious. We got a whole list of examples. If you'd ever care to hear any of them, we'd be happy to share them with you. Two of them rise to the top. Take our 20th wedding anniversary, for example. Most people, right, you take a great trip. You get to a beach. You go on a cruise or something. Not us. We trained and ran a marathon together, right? Who does something like that? Another happened this past week, right? This past Wednesday was Valentine's Day. We decided let's do something really special this year. And so we got up at 5 a.m. All right, we got ready as quickly as we could. We packed things up. We jumped in the car and we took off for Riverview Hospital where I had my first ever colonoscopy. Yes, you heard me right. We're talking about my colonoscopy in church and I have pictures to prove it. No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. It's church, people. Like I wouldn't, we wouldn't be inappropriate here and do something like that. The good news is everything's good, right? It's like the comedian Jim Gaffigan says, the best news is when they walk in and say, guess what? We didn't need to do that, right? No problems at all. All right. So all good. And here's my public service announcement. When it's time, when the doctor says it's time, just get it done, right? It's no big deal. But I can only say that now, all right, on the other side of it. Because if you were around me on Tuesday and into Wednesday morning, I was a nervous 
wreck and I'm just being truthful. Like I, I'm so thankful I'm healthy. I've never had to do anything like this before. No surgery, no anesthesia or nothing. It got so bad in the prep room. I was sweating. Like my mind was spinning. I felt like I was going to pass out. Jenny put her hand on me and she said, dude, you have to calm down. Like my heart rate was getting so low. Well, thankfully it changed. I don't know how some of you have had a baby, right? I could never have a baby. I could never do what you do because I am a baby. I feel like I have a pretty high pain tolerance, except for when it's me in the hospital, right? You know, when, when I'm go there. But for those of you that have already decided you're not coming back to Genesis, there is a point, all right? There is a point to what I'm about to share. And this was going through my mind on Tuesday and certainly on Wednesday, but I've been thinking about it all week. And I'm embarrassed to say this. I get so anxious sometimes. And I don't like this about myself. Uh, fear can easily get a hold of me. Like, that seems like that should be elementary stuff, you know, that, you know, we're professionals at this or not. Like, how do you get beyond this? And, I mean, yes, there are times when I can be really courageous and I can come across as faithful, but, man, there are times like this past week, and I want to trust the Lord, and I'm trying so hard, but fear just gets the best of me, and not just with health-related issues, but even serving with our church, and as we pray and think about the future, as I think about my family and my kids, and just wonder what's God going to do through their lives, or just this world, this country we live in, and all the things that are happening. Call it a very high view of myself and a very low view an opinion of God, and not high in that I think I'm big and bad and I've got all the answers, but even when you think about it, even a high view of self can lead us to believe that things like our worry and fear and a false sense of self-control, thinking we know or I know what's best, then I don't have a low view of God, at least I'm not trying. I mean, I know the right answers. I know what he's done for me in Jesus Christ. I just forget because there are times that I think I know better, I need to be in control, I need to call the shots, and I lose focus on how great and awesome he really is. And I think that's a little of what Moses is going through. This isolation that he's in, these insecurities have caused him to think that he knows what's best. He's allowing his doubts to take control. His fears drove him to push back, again, too much focus on himself. Not enough attention on God, at least not yet, because he's going to get there, and we'll see that. But look at God's response to him, verse 12. And God said to him, I will be with you. And I want you to take note here, because I want you to see that God deals with Moses' questions and insecurities, but there's no pep talk. All right, he's not going to spend a lot of time building Moses up with all these positive thoughts. He doesn't suggest that they sit down and review his resume and experience. They're not going to go over his Enneagram and figure out how it all works together. No, God shifts the attention back to himself and says, Moses, I'll be with you. That's all you need. And that's going to be more than enough. And that's the beautiful thing about following Jesus and trusting him with your life. Following Jesus means that we don't have to do it alone. You and I don't have to go at it alone. He promised his presence with us at all times through the power, the promise of his Holy Spirit. It means that he will be with us every moment of every day, no matter what we're going through, and that should encourage you, and that should bring you hope. You know, this reminder that his presence is greater than anything. It's greater than, than your worst mistakes or your, your, your biggest regrets. Uh, his presence is greater than, than the cancer or any health-related issue you might be facing. It's greater than your deepest hurt. 
Uh, his presence in your life is greater than uh, your greatest fears or doubts. It's greater than the, the biggest questions before you right now. It's greater than your worst sin. It's greater than the work or assignment that's standing before you. It's greater than our hesitations, our reluctance. God's presence in us and with us is greater than all things and so much more. But Moses can't see it. He's just thinking about himself and his doubts, and his circumstances, and his qualifications. And so he's made an evaluation about this particular situation and determined that he believes he knows what's best. Again, verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? Well, then what shall I tell him? You just kind of see this, well, what if, what if, what if? And this back and forth is going to continue through the rest of the chapter and into chapter four. Moses is going to throw every excuse he can at God, and each time God will push back. But interestingly, God's not going to spend a lot of time trying to build little old Moses up. He's not even really going to address the weaknesses or the insecurities. Instead, the focus is going to be on himself. It's going to be on God and who he is and what he's done and what he's doing, and what he's capable of doing through imperfect people who have the right perspective about how, who he really is. Two women, Shifra and Pua, are great examples of this. Did you catch them in your reading or your study this past week? Exodus chapter 1, two midwives, they are, who lived and served the Hebrew people. And their job got a little dangerous when the Pharaoh ordered that all the midwives were to kill the Hebrew baby boys that were born, but they wouldn't do it. They weren't willing to give in to Pharaoh's command, his orders, even if it meant they might lose their lives. Why? What motivated them? Look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 17 for a moment. These midwives, uh, uh, Shifra and Pua, however, feared God, underline those two words in your Bible, and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let, let the boys live. What, what does it mean to fear God? Well, in this particular context, fear means great awe. It's a great reverence and respect for God. They had, they demonstrated a high view of God in their lives. They weren't operating out of their insecurities. They weren't operating out of their so-called abilities. Their fear of God, their high view of God was what fueled and motivated them. Did they have a reason to be afraid of Pharaoh? Absolutely, for sure, but that's a different kind of fear. Their faith was in God, and for those reasons, they made it their goal to follow him, even if it meant they might ultimately lose their lives. And look at how God rewarded their faithfulness, verse 21. It says, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And so God protected them. He saved a number of children through their actions, and he rewarded them by giving them families of their own. Pastor and scholar Tony Morita says this about Shifra and Pua. He says, we should remember that these women did something for us too, because if they rescued babies, we will be raised from the dead. How so? If it weren't for these two women, you don't get Moses, the Exodus, David, Mary, or Jesus for that matter. And something else that's fascinating, Shifra and Pua and their faithfulness are so important to God's story in the book of Exodus, they get a shout out by name. Their names are in there, Shifra and Pua in Exodus chapter one. We know their names. Isn't it a little ironic that we still don't even know the actual name of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time? Don't underestimate how God can use you. 
and what he might like to do through your life, your faith, your time, your generosity, your service, especially when it's done in response to a high view of God because he loves to use imperfect people, especially those who have the right perspective of him. And that's what he's trying to accomplish in Moses. And before their little interaction comes to an end, he's gonna drive home this point by revealing something about himself, something that theologians and scholars have studied and deliberated for centuries. Again, verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is where God reveals his name, a name that we sometimes reference today. It's the word Yahweh, corresponding to the consonants Y-H-W-H, in the Hebrew Bible. It's translated as the word Lord, uh, all caps. Uh, you might see that in your Bible. If you have a Bible in your own, you'll see places where Lord is in lowercase uh, and when it's in uppercase. When it's in uppercase, this is the reference. It's the word that we use, Yahweh. It's connected to the Hebrew verb, Haya, which is a word that is translated to be. It's mentioned three times in verse 14, but it's translated as I am in the English. And again, there's so much profound mystery around this name. No one knows even for certain how you're supposed to pronounce this word for God. The meaning is so mysterious. But again, it seems to be related to this verb that means to be, or in other words, God is. He is. It means that he doesn't have needs. He doesn't need help. He's never lost control and will never. He never gets tired. He has no limits. There's no beginning to him. There's no end to him. He will always be. And he's certainly not intimidated by the Pharaoh. And he's not intimidated by Moses' weaknesses and insecurities. And he's not overwhelmed by the circumstances that are building up. Be sure, God's more than aware of them. He's just trying to get Moses to quit thinking so much about himself so that all of the attention is on God. And the very same thing is true in your life and it's true in my life, that he knows all things. He knows everything about me and he knows everything about you and he's more than aware of our weaknesses, uh, our together, and, and he has plenty of understanding about you know, my so-called or your so-called strengths and he loves to use imperfect people. I certainly fall into that category. And so before we close, how do we serve God more faithfully and completely in this world? To start, it's recognizing that it's not about you to begin with. And it's not about me. I mean, we put too much attention on ourselves and what we think we can, cannot, and should do. But it's not about you. And it's not about me. Because it's about him. He is the I am. And so to be the people of God means that we are ready. Uh, we're ready to be used. We find ourselves available for him, but we're not making decisions based on what we think we're capable of doing. We're making decisions based on who he is. I love this quote by A.W. Tozier. He says, God needs no one, but when faith is present, he works through anyone.
And that faith, that faith is when our faith is in him. And so let me ask you, where do you feel like you might need some faith in your life right now? It could be at home. It could be at school. Uh, maybe you're searching for a job right now or a different job and you're just waiting. Maybe you're in a season, a wilderness season of recovering and healing right now in your life. It could be a difficult or complicated relationship situation. Maybe you believe or wonder if the Lord's calling you into ministry or to a greater sense of ministry with your life. But it's the questions, it's the excuses, it's the pushback. We need a high view of God. What would it look like for you to pray today? Lord, I, I, I want to see more of you and less of me. I am created by you. I am made for you. I want to make my life available to you in all things. We understand who he is. We just live by faith. That's what he wants to grow in us. That's what he wants to grow in you and me and our church family as the people of God today to be people who live by faith, not shaped by our past, not governed by the what ifs or our weaknesses or our strengths. Those things don't get to have the final say. We live by faith for God because of who he is, the great I am. But before we go looking to Moses as the best option, because we often see him as the hero of this particular story. Let's just point out that while we can learn things from Moses, Jesus is always the best option. And he is the greatest example, the better example for how to get this kind of living right in this world. Because like Moses, Jesus too will say yes to God's assignment, but there'll be no reluctance and there'll be no questions and there'll be no pushback. And what's interesting about Jesus' response is what's found in Philippians Chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, is the Apostle Paul writes about Jesus and commands us the same. In your relationships, he says with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus as our ultimate deliverer and rescuer, models a life that was intent on honoring and living for God in all things, and God used him. Jesus willingly gave up his life. He willingly gave up his life, and God raised him from the dead so that you could have life, and that I could have life and have faith. Jesus had zero regrets. Don't you wanna say that about your life as a follower of Jesus? I have no regrets, I had no regrets and following Jesus and trusting the Lord in all things with every part of my life. And if you've never trusted Jesus with your life before, if you've never trusted him with your salvation, there is nothing more important. There is no greater way to live in this world than to follow Jesus and to be able to truly say, I have no regrets, no regrets. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we trust you to do what only you can do in our lives in this moment and certainly this day and in the days to come. Thank you for the hope, the promise, the power that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for being our sovereign God. 
I often think way too much of myself. We think way too much of ourselves, Lord. Help us to see more of you today, more of you and less of me, a high view of you as the one who is in control of all things, in control of our lives. Help us to live by faith as followers of Jesus. You know every life, you know every circumstance, you know every story here today, Lord. You help apply that where it needs to be applied. But for that person here today that has never trusted you with their life and with their salvation, I pray that they might see you a little more clearly today, even today to make the decision to trust and to follow you. We pray this in your name, amen.